I, I think of it like uh, cooking some pot roast beef. Like, yeah, you can get by with the bare bones flavors with just salt and pepper and oil. But if you add in the spices and herbs and seasoning, that really brings out the flavor of the meat that you wouldn't otherwise normally have. And I think that PD is that seasoning. So just as those herbs and spices bring out the flavor, um, PD serves as a link to bring out the, you know, all the aspects of um, great filmmaking. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 17th episode of the Unofficial Lost Year Film Podcast. Um, today, I'm joined with Chris Kenton and new to the show, hello. Randy Lau. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Awesome. All right. So today's topic is the importance of production design. And for that, of course, we have Randy here who um, is or was an art major at La Sierra University. Um, he recently graduated, I think, two years ago or last year. Correct. Um, two years ago. Yes. Um, and then he worked on a couple film sets as a production designer. So, uh, Randy, before we get into the questions, you mind just giving a little bit of background experience of what you've done and what you like? Yeah, sure. So firstly, thanks for having me on the show. Like Brendan said, I graduated from La Sierra University 2018 with the BFA in Fine Arts. Um, during my time there, I studied printmaking and ceramics, the column studio emphases. Um, and throughout all of my time at school, art wasn't really the first choice for me um, because of external pressures and just my own mentality. So it took a lot to make, finally make that push for it. Um, you know, and here I am doing art, doing what I love. Uh, right now, I'm teaching as an adjunct at Las Vegas University, and I've dabbled a little bit in the industry as an artist assistant or a art preparator at a museum. Uh, as for film project involvement, I've done six total film sets since um, meeting Eric, um, and get more into that a little bit later. All right, nice. Yeah, so <laughs> Randy is probably one of the most um, thoughtful and creative people that I personally know. So as we focus upon production design in a film set and also in, like, in a creative set, um, what, did, what is a production designer? What does it do? Um, anybody can answer this. Uh, production designer's job is representing and managing the film's overall visual aesthetic. That's the textbook definition of that. And uh, depending on the size and the experience of that crew, it may also take more managerial position. Um, as for my personal experience, I've just been doing um, a little bit of everything um, involved with the look of the film, the props, and um, the set design. Um, and then in the industry, they work with the set designers, graphic artists, wardrobe, props, and makeups. Um, just kind of bridging all of these disciplines in the industry together um, to like make this cohesive visual look. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As, as far as like you know, when somebody looks at the film, it's like okay, there's obviously like wardrobe, there's obviously like cars, and there's props, or there's um, whatever, and there's construction. But like, how? important is that to a film and what do like people not realize about production design production design i think is uh just as important as the actors or the spoken dialogue or the film score itself in that 
the relationship that they all share is they're communicating the film to the audience. So the audience is looking, you know, what's happening in the background, what the characters are holding. I think um, to a lesser extent than the performance of the actors and actresses, like the objects are still in the visual frame. Yeah, I would add to that mm -hmm. that um, a lot of production design is kind of the world around the space. So wherever the story is taking place, it has to inhabit a world and that world has to be believable. So let's say you're trying to make a film in like the 1940s. Well, you're going to have to have props and clothing and, you know, different type of background aesthetic that kind of makes that world feel real. And so uh, for a lot of production design, it's about helping build this subconscious world around the space that the story is taking place. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Kenton? Yeah. Uh, for production design, it's like all elements of film. Like there's not just one thing that's most important. They all are equally putting out to come together to make one product. So like you can't really say one is just more important than the next. You have to be have excellence in each department of a film. Yeah, I think, um, you know, especially we were talking in a couple of previous episodes with Alex and Mark um, about what's in the frame is also is what makes something look cinematic. Um, and that a lot of that is down to the production designer, like you said, um, building, building the world around um, the characters and the story and making sure that it has depth in there, you know, it, it it's not just, you know, like, oh, let's just put this specific prop um, there. It's, you know, finding out which prop fits well with the story, which prop makes sense, which prop, you know, um, gives hints of character development and character um, personality, too. I think, you know, practice design is very important. Um, so, Randy, when you let's just talk about um, Eric and how you got started and <laughs> doing production design for film because you're, you know, an art major and then you kind of got like asked to do <laughs> production <Yeah>. design. <laughs> yeah, totally chance encounter on graduation. Um, I graduated physically next to Eric, meaning he was right in front of me of the caravan leading to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so we had some time to chat during the idle, I don't know, like three hours. You're just kind of sitting around waiting for this the show to get started. Um, and by the end of it, he told me that for his thesis film, his PD had bailed on him for pretty much no reason. So he kind of took a shot in the dark and asked me, it's like, hey, do you want to try doing production design? You know, I know you studied art and I know like you pretty much know nothing about it, um, but I'm willing to take a chance and, you know, see what you can do. Um, Eric and I have always been familiar with each other's work, but we've never collaborated. Um, so I figured, you know, like this is a interesting thing right off the get-go, the very first uh, job right after graduation. So I said, yeah, like, why, why not? Let's give it a try. And then five films later, <laughs> I really, really enjoy the process. Yeah, so with Eric's film, what happened? How did you get started? Or like, and then how did you collaborate with Eric? And what came out of it? What did you do? So Eric had a very open... Uh, open-minded sort of approach to PD um, in that he he basically had a, you know, his characters and their attitudes and personalities. But I think he really catered to me being so green to the process and just said like, yeah, kind of go to town. 
um, you know, here are my characters. Here's there's the script. Here's how they act, etc. Um, here's a very um, bare bones mood board just to see what I kind of want for my film. And he let me take the reins on um, pretty much all of the sets. And we filmed a lot of it in kind of the back rooms of the art department, like the storage spaces. Uh, interestingly enough, the uh, bedroom of the main character for his film was in uh, an attic in one of the photo <laughs> storage rooms in the department that had been so dusty. I think that oh, set was really, <laughs> really something. It's really fun. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I remember, I think it was, yeah, that was the first time I worked with Randy or met Randy in general was that set. Mm -hmm. And I was doing double duty as an AD in sound. So that was fun. But um, I remember yeah. like seeing what Randy had put together in this like back room, dusty photo studio. Yeah. And it's like this storage space. And you're like, wow, what is he going to do with this? Because like, I remember seeing this so much stuff piled up in that space. I'm like, oh, how is Randy going to work with this? And then I left for a couple hours and I came back and it was like transformed. And I'm just like, oh my goodness gracious, this looks, I would sleep here. <laughs> it was such a different feeling walking into that room after Randy had worked with it that it, I could really feel that this would work in the frame and I could really feel that this could actually be an inhabitable space. So it's kind of amazing what a PD can do or what, you know, when they have an idea in their head, how they can kind of transform a space and make it completely feel different. Yeah, adding on to that real quick, um, based off of what Kenton said about having, you know, excellence in everything, um, it was after Alex Gilbert had rigged up all of the lights in that space when it really started to feel alive. So we had Alex's, you know, um, mastery and lighting and understanding of that to really make the space feel convincing and more alive. Yeah, like everything combines to make something um, look and be the way it is but i think also like for for me being there on on the set and looking at like not even just the attic but also like the walls and like the setup that you had there randy it was pretty amazing just to see like they must have to a like had to clear out and then be put in there and specifically like messed with and um toyed with a like specific placement just to make it look um real and like i just the, the wall itself was <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'll see if I can find a photo of it and then maybe you can post it on the Instagram, but that was something. Um, so <laughs> as far as like that creative process goes, as far as like making decisions, um, how do you feel like your education and like your own self um, came together to make those decisions? You know, what, what, got you to or what educated you to feel like you can make those decisions and then what kind of inspired you to make those decisions mm, good question um i guess that I, I can answer that in the scope of like what did i learn in college um, <laughs> as cliche as that is i think the most valuable thing i learned was the willingness to learn and to pick up in different kinds of skills that you're not really required to um, so, for example, at the art department, we have a wood shop, but we don't have any formal woodworking classes. Um, and my professor at the time, Tim Musso, uses the tools in the wood shop a lot for his own creative practices. Um, and as I started to get to know him better, um, 
I asked him like, hey, would you be willing to teach me how to use these tools? And then, you know, the year passes. And by the time that's over, he lets me use the space um, on my own accord. And I think that that mentality of trying to pursue something new and not staying like rooted in what you already know was the kinds of decisions that informed, um, you know, setting up the sets or even taking the job in the first place. Also, like the willingness to to experiment with something that you don't know entirely and acknowledge that it's okay that you don't know these things fully. Definitely. How do you feel like your environment and your mindset kind of helps um, inform you as a creative person and be the person who you are? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the work personally started as really critical and self-reflective. And while I think it still maintains that self-reflective quality, um, I think um, the environment in my house and just you know being in my room all the time um, was really good for a couple of the um, sets that I had to design. Just because you, when you're designing these sets, I try to take it from the perspective of you know I am this character. And this is my space of living. So how would my state of mind affect this space of living? So, you know, you have happy environments and happy memories and more depressing environments and more sad memories. Um, so at, at least for the specific example of making sets of rooms, that's what I used as reference when building them. Nice. Chris, can't you have any questions for Randy? I don't have a question but more of a statement I just think that's like a great way of thinking about like building a place for like on set like trying to be the character and then thinking of what would be in their room like I have never even thought about that that's really cool definitely I think um the best thing about working with Randy is that kind of attitude of being like oh I always am in a space where I can learn something new and learn something that kind of informs me later and helps me develop and helps me grow later i think that environment of working with somebody is super helpful because they're more willing to collaborate we're more willing to communicate with each other and dialogue about a, a decision or a choice and ultimately i think it shows a deeper depth of trying to understand the story because it's not just the surface level of okay i want this person to be happy so i'm going to put their room full of bright colors it's okay well at this point they're supposed to feel this way. And at this point in the story, it may shift. So something in their room may change. And it's something that I think kind of people don't think about um, when they mm -hmm. think of film because the film has to exist in a space. And that space, like we were saying before, reflects the character. And if it doesn't reflect the character accurately, it could be very confusing to the story. Referencing a conversation I had with Chris on one of the sets, it's like so much is happening when you're a viewer um, watching a film like you don't realize how much work has been put into it you're just kind of consuming material um, and I think the sets and the backgrounds tend to just you know be as they are background material so I, in my conversation with Chris I said like it would be fun to reward the viewer with something if they should notice that something has changed as like a subtle tone of the story shift or just like a little easter egg too mm -hmm. yeah those are fun and those are great 
I think that's one of the reasons why like film is enjoyable to like rewatch is that you can like see all those subtle differences or hopefully notice something that you didn't notice before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Randy, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you made, okay. So for one of my films, you made a post, you made a series of posters and had other people make it. Um, you hired someone else to make a couple other posters as well. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but do some of those posters appear in other people's films too? Because I believe we had like a really one-off conversation about that and like, you know, kind of jumping on the Easter egg thing. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Actually, <laughs> it was uh, Brendan's film, his VFA thesis film um, that shows up somewhere. Um, yeah. I think it was uh, a little pamphlet of the Coyote Jet poster I put <laughs> as like a crumpled up piece of paper on the main uh, one of the main characters desks <laughs> i have watched it a thousand times and i've never known <laughs> <laughs> i remember i had a conversation with randy I'm like oh so our worlds are connected brendan <laughs> in our know. cinematic universe by the student cinematic universe that would be fantastic <laughs> um, so randy you talked about you know being in the character's mindset to figure out how to design their room what's like the next step after that or a previous step before that uh i guess the very first step like once i get the the gig so to speak is reading the script 100 times over finding all of the little subtleties and also emailing the director too if i had any questions um and while i'm going through i like to physically highlight um any any part of the script that mentions setting or props or anything that the characters interact with and make little footnotes for them um, just to start brainstorming, like, how do I want to represent this? Um, and depending on if the director is specific or not, then I'll email them back saying, like, hey, I noticed on lines so-and-so that X character was doing something with Y object. And then uh, from that point, sometimes like the directors will have specific objects that they want. So for example, Brendan's film, um, his recent film, um, the diary of the main character was a specific object that he already had. Um, and I asked about that. I was like, hey, this seems like a very important object. Do you have something in mind for this? And Brent said, yes, I do. Yep, I think it's really helpful in figuring out, like you said, the mindset of the character and making sure that you have those things available to you and making sure like um, <laughs> Chris is showing up a couple of uh, specific props on his film. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one, one of the brilliant things that I think you've done, Randy, that you, that you bring with you to a set is that whatever prop or item that is listed in the script that isn't like specific, you make it specific and you make it real. I think that's one of the really like good things about a production designer or any, or anybody that like wants to start production design or even you know script write is to make things as specific as possible because that like really adds to the story. Chris, do you have any specific things you want to talk about as far as production designer questions? Yeah, I think just to kind of add to your thing about specifics, um, you kind of get to this point when you're like writing a film or you're like designing something or you're like breaking down a script and be like, okay, well, what can I do with this, you know, random prop that you're supposed to interact with? And I think you kind of get to the point where you realize that every single thing you're doing is you're being specific about a choice. Okay. 
what about this choice that I'm making as a writer is going to reflect my character? Why does wearing red to help them in this part of the story versus them wearing blue? Why is this uh, person interacting with this specific mug out of six that they could have chosen? And you kind of realize that the more specific and the more precise you are with your choices, the more possibility and the better chance you have at communicating intention. So if you're trying to say something about a character, you need to make as many choices as accurately as possible about everything they're doing and wearing and interacting with that helps reflect that character. And if you just kind of like throw off a choice, like, oh, it doesn't matter what happens. They can wear whatever color shirt. It doesn't matter. That choice, you're ultimately letting go of a possibility of meaning. And so being super precise and then having someone like a production designer, like your set dresser, like someone who can really focus and put all of their energy into that specific visual medium. When you have someone there who's going to give you a different perspective and also put the same level of precision and detail, you're adding so much more to your story than if you just said, okay, it doesn't matter what they wear. It doesn't matter what's in the background. It doesn't matter what they you know wear or interact with. Yeah. And on the flip side of that too, um, this is like a hard lesson learned when I was working with you on your uh, thesis film, Chris. Um, at the end of it, I feel like I had bombarded you too much with emails and questions like, hey, is this specific prop okay? Or like, do you want X, Y, and C? Um, I think there's also a balance too where you do have the really specific objects, but then it's also up to the production designer or the team, if applicable, to decide for themselves. You know, like this isn't really um, benefiting anything to the story narrative, so to speak, but it's more filling up space in the background. Um, and that's just important so you don't bombard the director who's already dealing with 100 <laughs> things all at the same time. Yeah, I think you guys just spot on with what you said. Um, but also, you know, it may seem like obvious to like, a person who who just listened or who watches a film that like oh yeah obviously production production design is important, but but to like a film major, it sometimes flies by their head and especially mm -hmm. did for mine like when I <laughs> first started. Um, why do you think? Um, I'll start with you, Chris. Why do you think production production design is overlooked by a film student? You know, because like um... sometimes, you know. At, at least for me, it's like, okay, you know, I need a camera. <laughs> I need, I need the lights. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's like, oh, I'm not even going to think about production design. I just need camera lights. <laughs> I honestly think that it's what we, what we see. So for instance, right. In a DVD release of whatever film that you love and there's like the behind the scenes thing, right. You really don't get a feature spotlight on production design or, you know, backgrounds or setting mm -hmm. or if they build a set, you don't get any of that. You get, oh, these are the props that they interact with. Here's Luke's lightsaber. Here's X thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's about props. That's it. Mm -hmm. And then when you go yeah. to film school for the first time, you really don't have that spotlight featured either. You're really more focused on cinematography, directing. Okay. You're focused on these big things, focused on acting. Okay. You have all of that. You're focused on script writing. But then you kind of have this like weird priority list that gets put into your head based off of what you've seen in you know behind the scenes things and then what you've learned in film school. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned in my thesis film and the reason why I wanted to collaborate with Randy in the way that I did um, is that the first two, the first couple of people that I got after I wrote my film is that I got my DP and I got my production designer. 
And the reason I got those two people first is because they were the people that were going to be in charge of the visual of my film. And I needed to make sure that we were all in the same boat. We were all unified. We we're all thinking about it together. My first couple of films didn't really have production design, if I'm being honest, because I was very much in the mindset of, oh, no, these things are more important. But when we kind of break it down and film into two things, you get what you see and you have what you hear. There's a lot of stuff that's involved with what you see. And when you understand that all of that needs to be, you know, unified between the person capturing it and the person setting it up, production design suddenly becomes insanely more important <laughs> because they are <laughs> dictating everything that's in front of the camera while the director of photography, DP cinematographer, is directing how we're going to see it. I think that was yeah. great. Um way of putting it. Kenton, <laughs> mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Um, for, I think one of the biggest reasons why it's overlooked by a lot of film students is to kind of go off of what Chris said, is that it's not really taught in any of our classes. Like, mm. and like, for one thing, most film students, if you go into a room and you ask, how many of you want to be director? Like, 95% of people are going to raise their hands. Like, so that's first thing. And then, in any of our classes, I don't remember ever learning much about production design. I remember firstly learning about camera and then learning about lighting. And pretty much after that, it was just go from there. Like, there's not really much taught about production design, I feel like. Yeah. What do you guys think that is? Like, I mean, especially for, you know, you, Randy, you know, it's like art is very much you know, all talked about in art school, but for, you know, film, you know, why do you is like art sometimes overlooked? Yeah, I have two comments on that. One is the title of a podcast that I frequently listen to called uh, Great Graphic Design is 99% Invisible. It just blends into the background because if it looks good, then you'll never question it. You know, there's there's harmony. Um, and then the second comment I had was uh, more of like an outsider comment, uh, just from what I understand of the industry. Um, I think film students will tend to forget about PD because it's not really part of the bread and butter process of it, right? Like you have your script writing, you have your talent casting, the set locations, um, all the equipment, camera and lights and all that. And pretty much like that is the backbone of what makes the film and you could get by without doing excuse me production design um and i've got a good anecdote that i thought up with in the shower <laughs> before the <laughs> podcast so I, I think of it like uh cooking some pot roast beef it's like yeah you can get by with the bare bones flavors with just salt and pepper and oil but if you add in the spices and herbs and seasoning that really brings out the flavor of the meat that you wouldn't otherwise normally have and i think that pd is that seasoning so just as those herbs and spices bring out the flavor um pd serves as a link to bring out the you know all the aspects of um, great filmmaking man there's lots of great um stuff in here <laughs> uh, if only i knew this as a freshman same <laughs> i know yeah i think what you said randy especially like the first um comment that like 
you know, PD or graphic design is, you know, 90%, 99% invisible, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a film student, you know, I've heard that comment made about editing, you know, that mm. like editing is 99% invisible because if it's great, you're wrapped in the story and you don't um, notice it. But of course, you know, a lot of editing depends upon what coverage you have and um, the story as well, how compelling it is. But also another aspect of that is, you know, production design, because if you're in the setting with like white walls and like that's all you have, um, but your story wants so much more, then you're going to notice the white walls, you know, yeah, you're going you're to notice the things that aren't there. Yeah, it's interesting that the things that don't get a lot of attention, if they're done incorrectly, they can undermine the entire film like the white walls, bad editing, bad CGI. Those are the things that people say when they talk about the film 20 years later. It's like, oh yeah, that Disney movie from 2000 had such horrible CGI. And that's the only legacy that it has because people notice those mistakes. It's interesting. And sometimes, you know, with CGI, it can be, you know, like, oh, okay, this is what we have right now. It's great. But then, you know, maybe in 20 years, be like, oh, wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. I think one thing that might make production design overlooked is maybe just the like huge increase in the use of CGI. Like people think that they could rather do that instead of be in production design. Mm. Mm. Because good. with all the popular movies nowadays, it's just a green, Avengers, a green box. blue screen. <laughs> yeah, or a green screen, <laughs> a blue screen. Like it's just oh, like. Man some studio and you have like all these flying things coming through but it's not actually there like it used to be back in the day mm. yeah that's a good true. lesson mm. yeah i think that you know when we see features now especially like you know the big blockbuster movies we do see these blue screens and yet when we think of like classics you know we see these like grandiose backdrops and sets um that have been built for um the film specifically you know <laughs> i'm gonna bring up blur the rings but <laughs> in the blur the Ring, even though a lot of it is cgi they did build a lot of the sets you know i think um nrs yeah. in in rohan the capital was only like half built um physically mm-hmm. and then filled in with cgi mm-hmm. you know yeah and hobbiton too like that's not cgi they you can actually go there in new zealand so it's like makes it more realistic Bring us acres. Um, I think one of the interesting things that kind of like really put like production design as like vital to me is when I think Randy and I worked on a project where we had to where you basically got to film in this empty room. It was just an empty white room, and we had to bring everything into it that we needed to create a set, basically, right? And I was yeah. just remembering and thinking about that. I'm just like, there is so much stuff in here. Like it doesn't look like cluttered or busy but there's so much stuff in here that we had to bring in physically and if we weren't thinking about every single thing then we just didn't have it It doesn't exist like i think people need to kind of realize that how much stuff occupies a normal space right just thinking about like every single object that is in a physical space like just your room for instance right count how many objects are in there and you'll kind of realize wow normal space is actually quite full of stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not even just like the floor too, it's also the walls. Because oh, yeah. like if you're working 
I remember like one of the first films I did with um with John, you know, the fun has of Rotten Tomatoes. Um like we're we're in this like it's fairly large warehouse space. It's not like a huge, you know, like Amazon packing house area. It's like this like big garage. And so like we can't exactly like hang stuff up. So like everything's kind of like on the floor, leaning up against the walls. And like since the camera, you know, is mostly at head height, you're looking at like a lot of the wall instead of like, you know, the floor. So you're like, uh man, <laughs> how do we angle this so that we can get a little bit of height and depth to the, like the the shelves that are like higher than like a, a wooden panel? So to like fill up a wall is, you know, it is trickier. Yeah, and that that is quite a challenge too when you see um like in example movies, characters' rooms that are just littered with posters, floor to ceiling, different kinds of postcards, posters, and all that. Um, like that becomes quite a challenge too. And especially um, if you can't use any copyrighted material, it all has to be original work. Like that's another whole challenge in itself. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. And then, and then maybe like a person can get by with like having, you know, cuckoo lores shining some like light on the wall to give it a little bit of texture like a branch or something but you know <laughs> uh, a blank wall is still a blank wall <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, chris made a good comment about how uh, just reinforcing that like the design is invisible it's like you really do never notice all of the objects in your room and that's something that he just made me realize now i'm like peering into my room i have <laughs> thousands of objects in there and they just become invisible the more you look at it, you know, the more that its impact goes away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So when we're talking about like a student filmmaker, you know, trying to balance, um, you know, visual and as well as um, all the other aspects, you know, audio as well, should like students place more focus upon, you know, in, in your um, analogy, Randy, you know, the spices and their herbs, rather than the actual bare bones <laughs> or you know how do they balance you know pd the, the importance of pd as compared to you know like the story and the cinematography and the editing and all that other um you know bare bones yeah definitely the bare bones is you know the backbone of the film it can't exist without it but then like we discussed earlier if there's just one little mistake with the PD, people will notice that and they will never let it go. So I think there's a balance that's need to be um, treaded upon, focusing efforts on, you know, getting all of logistics, but then also having like a small dedicated uh, PD team that you can rely on so they can do the heavy lifting for you while you, the director, can focus on, um, you know, camera, lighting, talent morale <laughs> yes you know but you know sometimes you know as like a student filmmaker you know you don't always have the budget to get all the stuff that you want to mm -hmm. so you know if you can't dress an area or location you know is is it worth it you know trying to go for that you know specific place rather than you know trying to find somewhere that's more dressed or you know, how do they, how does a young student filmmaker with like little budget and monetary compensation like work with the aesthetic 
while not trying to undermine their story if it's like a blank wall. What I would say to a filmmaker, because I've been in that position before, is if you don't have, um, if you're imagining a set in your mind based off your script, try to find a place that is visually as close to that as possible and try to get permission to film there because most of the PD is real because that's what you imagined in your head. You're filming in a space that you imagined, right? If it's, if you can't get that space and you have to work with very little, see what little tiny things you can add to kind of make this space feel more realistic. On the flip side of that, if you happen to get a space that's already that as a business, so let's say you film in a library and you then film in a library, right? Well, what can you do to kind of undress it or remove the things that are more distracting for your frame? Like we were saying before, really good graphic design, PD, is almost invisible if it's done well. And if there's something in that space that's really distracting, well, maybe that is your PD, is removing that thing that's taking the focus away from your character or from the story. But for when you have a space that's really empty, try to find the things or try to put in things that would then from your, you know, from, let's say from your dorm room, from your house, bring stuff from, you know, other people that may make the space feel more realistic. It doesn't have to be a lot, but if the space isn't believable, like Randy was saying, it's really noticeable. Yeah. And that also brings up, uh, I guess what I've called the troche problem, um, as we experience from Chris's film, uh, the troche center in the business building, as many of you have seen before, has a very specific look to it. And one of the challenges that we had in approaching it, for Chris the second time approaching it, was how do I make this space look less samey? You know, how do I make it um, lose its character, so to speak, and give it a new look? And while I don't have the particular, you know, end-all be-all answer for that, um, we ended up just playing around with some of the furniture that was there and manipulating the lighting to make it look like it was a void in the back and just John's great camera work with his um, steady cam. Um, but that's, I, I guess that's something that my question to you guys then, like how do you address the troche problem in your experience of filming? How do you make a samey looking space look less samey? Oh, I guess also to uh, phrase it as a different question, um, if the film is set in a university setting, how do you make La Sierra University look different? Mm. <laughs> that is a great question. I love it. <laughs> um, Brendan, do you want to take this first, or do you like? Do you have any specific memories from films that you've done that have been in the same space? Um, I haven't done a lot of films that have been in the same space, per se. I think. But I, I would say that in my films, there are a lot of shots or scenes in the same location. <laughs> <laughs> so then the trick is, you know, for each scene, how do you shoot it differently so that it's not like, oh, it's like the same center frame or it's, it's the same coverage angles? You know, how do you switch it up so it's, it doesn't feel the same? And at least the, the solution that we've done for that is to you know, is is to just switch up the camera angles and the looks and the lighting, so that it doesn't um, feel the same. But I think if you're looking at like a bigger picture, you know, making um, like get trust center um, different <laughs> between films, 
Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a huge problem if it's in a different film in a different setting because it's different and therefore, you know, it doesn't need to feel the same or it, it can feel the same because it's in a different setting and therefore it'll automatically feel different. Um, but if, let's just say you're in um, the film office, you know, and then... Uh, <laughs> You're needing it for different films, and I'd say, you know, maybe work with the story around it. You know, maybe it might be um, like a company just moving in, so you can undress all the the artwork there and have it just blank walls, so that it'll feel like people are just moving in and put you know moving in boxes or something. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you can um have it so that it's being renovated so therefore you just put plastic wrap over everything you know that's not relatively expensive and therefore you can work with it um but you know maybe you can manipulate that or maybe you can just manipulate you know the actual being it different office and therefore you just replace the artwork and the paintings or something yeah yeah yeah, I like that comment. Now you're now you're thinking like a budget PD, <laughs> <laughs> covered in plastic. We're good. Yeah. If, if, we're, if we're talking about budget filmmaking, you know, it's all one and the same. <laughs> yeah, I think to add to that, um, with my own experience, because I did shoot two films in the exact same location, and it was kind of difficult when we approached it, because I'm like, oh man, I've done this before. Um, <laughs> obviously, like Brenda was saying change how you're shooting it physically, camera angle wise, camera movement, how much focus you put on the background, how much depth is separating your character from the space, etc. Um, change the lighting, obviously, how it's being lit, because you can create a very different attitude and mood based off lighting. Um, but also change orientation of it, honestly. Like if you have the ability to shift around a couch to flip around to the other side, if you have the ability to move posters or to remove posters and replace them, if you have the ability to, you know, adjust how the room kind of has its own geography, right? Do so, because that kind of creates a different feeling for a room. Um, the Chinese call how a room is, you know, put together feng shui, right? Having a couch oriented one way feels very different than having it oriented another. So play around with that and kind of get a different feeling to what you're doing. Additionally, um, take away stuff. Like I was saying before, if you know that there's always going to be something there, maybe you should probably take it away because maybe it's so prevalent in that space that if someone sees it in two different films it kind of links them really harshly together um and of course if you're in you know the film student problem where you have very little actors or very little um background characters maybe don't have the same people in the same wardrobe in the same space for different films maybe adjust that (laughs) yeah i had one last comment um i think PD through DP is a great way to go. Work Ooh. close with the DP. Um, I, I'm, I'm not realizing all of the parallels between because they're both in charge in an essence of the visual look. Um, so if you work with the DP, you can create a space without actually um, introducing or like modifying it by too much. It's interesting mm-hmm. how uh, related those those roles are. I didn't even think about that. 
or yeah. at least PD through DP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, work smarter, right? Like, you're only going to be moving the things you see in frame, right? So yeah. why not why not move, like, this tiny jar over than moving the whole background? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's awesome. Did you have any thoughts, Kenton? Yeah, I was going to talk about one experience I had when I was making, a, when I was shooting a scene in a dorm room. Because we were, me and my friend Callan, we were trying to make a dorm room look like what a typical college party would look like and when you've seen a dorm dorm room you know that it's going to be very identical to 90 percent of the dorm rooms like on in the u.s (laughs) so what we did we tried to get as much of like the furniture and stuff out of the way create like a big open center in like the room and it's like a 10 by 10 room or whatever like not that big and we tried to fit as many people into like the center spot as we could. We turned off the regular um, lights, which are just horrible, like some of the worst lights ever. And we got an L7, changed that so we were rotating colors throughout it. And then we just tried to really focus in on our main character. And with the other people there, it really made it feel like not like a dorm room at all. And that was like mm. my experience with it. Yeah, the more people think about PD, the more they realize how much work it requires and how much it entails. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's that's a really smart solution, using the extras as the PD, so to speak, like having <laughs> them fill up the space. That way, like the viewer's eyes can rest on, you know, the extras' bodies rather than the blank white walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Randy, how does one get started in production design? How do you feel like, or what is required? And also, like, yeah, what what is also required for, um, as the skill set of a a production designer? Yeah, uh, definitely don't have to consider yourself a quote-unquote artist, but it helps to have a good visual eye and to see things otherwise normally unseen. Um. I think graphic design, you know, basic skills with like Photoshop and just photo manipulation, um, that understanding helps, but you can also find access to art majors to do graphic design posters or anything for you, for your needs. Um, and I also think a DIY attitude, not necessarily the skill set, but the, the attitude to go and do it yourself helps a lot yeah um for film students at la sierra um who do you think they should ask for production designers if they can't do it themselves hmm. you know is it, is it worth you know trying to find an art student who's willing to do it as it you know should you focus upon your film friends you know uh, who can they contact for production design yeah, in in the perfect world, there would be such a cross-disciplinary interaction between film and art. Um, but unfortunately, that's just not present at La Sierra. Eric made a very good attempt, you know, to reach out to me, and I think it was successful. But those those interactions don't happen all the time. Um, that being said, it would be quite the hurdle if I'm being 100% honest, to go introduce yourself as a film major to the graphic design majors asking for a project. 
But I think a feasible way to do it is to at least make friends and try to meet the art majors or meet the film majors. Um, that way, once you're on a familiar level, you can say like, hey, I know you're um, pretty good with Illustrator and I'm working on a project that could use Illustrator. Um, I think spoken word is the way to go. Um, I don't want to just go out and say like, oh yeah, it'd be easy to hire graphic designers because that's just not the reality of it. Mm. <laughs> yes. Um, for, at least for people, you know, like myself, <laughs> even though I'm like, graduating already, at least for people who are, you know, on the, on the choir side um, and like, you know, when to get low or get, want to get to know more art majors and more people <laughs> in general. Um, how how do they go about doing that as far as like the the art major last year do they you know take art classes and then you know go that way mm. or mm -hmm. you know maybe they can get acquainted with um people at like fam night if they're comfortable going to fam night um if that's an option you know how how yeah. is it what, what are some like opportunities for film majors to go meet art majors um I will say fam night is not as exclusive as it sounds. We always get a lot of guests who come in, um, but it's a little bit more social. Um, so that might not be comfortable. I think the absolute best way to meet art majors, unfortunately, is to take an art class. Um, you will just get the most exposure to you know the department. But I think an easy way, maybe not as good as taking a class, is to visit the gallery receptions that happen. Very low risk um, event that you can walk into. And even if you don't introduce yourself to anybody, you're getting exposed a little bit to the environment. And I think that a little bit of exposure will go a long way. Yeah, I think I love the community at, in the art department. And I think that's just one of the most amazing things that um, last year. <laughs> now, on the flip side, we'll say it is also up to the art majors to go check out sunscreen or check out the music recitals that are happening. Um, it's something that I, if I had more time as a senior, I wish I could have done more to you know make these things happen. But the creatives, as it seems right now, are separate islands that are doing their own thing. But it'd be great if there was some kind of interaction between them. And not a forced interaction, something organic. Yeah, I agree. I think that'd be something that I wish too. <laughs> as yeah, I think Brendan and I have had a very similar experience of after we had taken our classes in our late, in our latter years of uh, education, we kind of had this like epiphany of being like, man, I wish I took these classes earlier. Man, this is really <laughs> fun. Man, all of these people are really like enthusiastic and really passionate about what they do. And it would be really nice to be around these people. Oh, wait, I can be around these people because I've had classes with them. <laughs> I can talk to them. No, in mm -hmm. all honesty, um, I think I've said this earlier on the podcast, but like if I had known what I know now, and I went into college, I would have been an art major instead of a film major. And I think I've said that enough. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I took the the one art class I took was Photoshop, um, beginning of my sophomore year. And I have 
ever since then, I've wanted to take more art classes, but I've also, I, I didn't fit it in my schedule because I wanted to learn other things, which I thought <laughs> were more important, you know, such as like script writing, Yep. you know, and, you know, that might have been a good choice for myself. Um, but of course, I do wish I would take more, would have taken more art classes. But I think for someone who can fit it in their schedule, at least specifically talking about for a film student, mm-hmm. you know, um, do take art classes mm-hmm. because I think, you know, they bring a lot of value, they bring a lot of insight, and they bring community as well. Yep. So, take art classes. Yeah. <laughs> and of, of the art classes, like Brendan said, Photoshop, 100%. Um, mm-hmm. If you're a film major, it's just very beneficial for you. And uh, design principles is a little bit more um, obscure, but think of it like a shot on the camera is a composition, right? If you've learned those compositional foundations in a design class, you'll be able to apply those subconsciously when you're filming your next project. So Photoshop, graphic design, or, or sorry, uh, design principles, definitely are my recommendations if you're going to take at least one art class. Chris, I think you took photography as well. Yes, I did. It was really fun to be able to take a class purely dedicated on one frame, basically. Like learning how to really take your time with each individual frame and figure out what you're doing with each of those compositions. Does anybody have any final thoughts, questions, comments, concerns before we wrap up? Yeah, just uh, one last off question to Randy here. Um, yes. In your time doing PD, what is either the weirdest or most memorable thing you've created or made for that job or gig? Mm. I think the loft bedroom for Eric's character in his BFA was definitely a standout. And, and I say that... <laughs> I say that because... After the moment I was done furnishing it with the bedding, I I had realized how tired I was um, after my thesis exhibition and just all the physical labor that went into there. I ended up falling asleep on that bed. <laughs> and what woke me up was the sound of security locking up the building, but he didn't know I was up there. I, I had turned over and looked down and I saw security just leaving. It's like, oh no. <laughs> so that was definitely the, the weirdest, wackiest experience I had. Love it. <laughs> That's it. Thanks once again to Chris, Kenton, and Randy for joining me on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it and you'll listen to more.